0: Welcome to the Tennis IQ podcast. I'm Josh Berger,
1: and I'm Brian Lomax. And today our topic is going to be sportsmanship. Sportsmanship is an important part of tennis. Uh, I think that's something that Josh and I both agree on. Um, it can be, uh, you know, difficult at all times to to uh, to maintain that, but it is um, one of the, I think. Um, most important aspects of being a great competitor and a great tennis player, especially since most of the competitions that we play, we're not just the player, but we're actually a couple of other roles. We're, all, we're also the coach and we are also the line judge. And so there is there are, there are elements of fairness, being truthful, um, integrity, and a sense of sportsmanship and respect that are inherent with the rules of tennis and, and inherent... Uh, just with the sport overall. And one of the reasons that we decided to talk about this today is uh, I actually witnessed um, some what I guess would I would call poor sportsmanship over the weekend at an event that I attended. And um, it was a mixture of bad calls and even something as um, sort of what I thought was unsportsmanlike is when somebody hits a f- – First serve return that's out, they hit it back into the net and it's kind of rolling, and then they take their time going to get it and take their time walking back, thus creating a lot of space between that first and second serve. And it's just seeing those types of things. Um, of course, we don't know exactly why this player was doing that. There could be a lot of different reasons why players are, um, you know, perhaps a little bit unethical and some of their behavior are certainly not sporting. Um, but I guess it gets to me that we're not doing a good enough job in the tennis industry, whether that's coaching, I guess, mostly coaching. Um, and we'll get into the different sources of sportsmanship and where it gets validated and and so forth. Um, but I'll, I'll probably point to coaching in the environment a little bit that this type of behavior is out there and it's prevalent and, um, it certainly exists, especially at the higher levels of the sport. And both Josh and I have, have coached at the Division One level for men and women's tennis. And we've seen our share of bad behavior. There are certain, um, you know, there are players, there are programs, et cetera, that, that don't engage in, in, in the best behavior out there. Well, on the other hand, there are many programs that are doing the right thing. And they're emphasizing a lot of this. Um, Great behavior, great character building, and so forth. So I thought today, what we could do, to at least to begin this this discussion, is to talk about what is good sportsmanship. How does one demonstrate it? What are some examples of good sportsmanship in tennis? Um, and so, I guess, Josh, I'll I'll kick off the discussion with you. Get your your thoughts on um, what do you think good sportsmanship is? What are some good examples? Perhaps even some stories of things that you've seen. In your coaching or playing career
0: yeah um so so it's often said that that sport um sport can be a, really a classroom for teaching teaching a lot of life lessons a lot of uh valuable life lessons and I think sportsmanship is a is a big um area that uh where these life lessons can take place and be taught um whether that be how you interact with your peers or the people that you're competing against. Whether that be how you interact with um, opposing coaches or opposing fans or umpires, line judges, um, and we see this at the college level, as as you mentioned, Brian. We we see this at at the junior level or um, you know USTA adult level, um, and we see this at the pro level. Um, we see. Examples of exemplary sportsmanship um, of players who maybe at times will concede a point um, where maybe they um, have earned that point, and for whatever reason, uh, maybe it's based on a line call or maybe it's based on a circumstance in the match. They they give up that point. Um, so we see examples of exemplary sportsmanship, and, th- and then we see um, you know really poor examples of players who. Um, behave in ways that I think we can objectively say is, um, you know, is is bad sportsmanship. Um, And I I think some examples of this, um, and Brian, you touched on a couple of these things were our bad line calls. Um, And, you know, especially if it's done in a malicious way and, you know, an intentional bad line call is really what we're referring to. Mistakes do, of course, happen. Um, But these, this can also be other things. This can be Brian, you mentioned the player who intentionally slowly walks to pick up the ball before the the player second serve to take a long period of time, or maybe tying your shoes um, right before somebody you know goes to serve, or you know doing intentional stall tactics. I actually had a situation in one of my junior matches that I'm not particularly proud of. I may have mentioned this in in a uh, previous episode, but I had a situation where I was playing a a player in a junior tournament, and he he would say, "Come on, or let's go." After every point that he won, uh, I think I did did tell this, but I think it's worth. This is just, sounding uh, familiar. Sharing again, yes, yes. Um, and you know, he, with him saying that after every point, it got under my skin, and I responded as a whatever age I was, fourteen or fifteen year old might with doing it with, with uh with repeating that same behavior myself, but trying to double his volume <laughs> level every time. So this this really um turned into just a, a a huge shouting match between the two of us where he'd win a point and he'd scream, come on, and I'd win a point and I'd do the same. And um needless to say, the the people on the surrounding courts were couldn't have been more annoyed at us. And uh I think you know I, I, fortunately i don't think it totally destroyed my reputation but i think uh, that's an example of maybe um that and you know the some of these stall tactics are examples of things that aren't necessarily outside of the rules um however i think we can agree upon that or we can agree that these are, are behaviors that aren't that are you know aren't best served um, for a sporting environment, for the, the type of sporting environment that we want to um, create and that we want to promote, um, and it's really the type of behavior that um, is, you know, it's it's disrespectful. It, it can be degrading. Um, uh, it can be disrespectful to the opponent, and I would I would say also to yourself. You're not treating yourself with respect. By acting in in such a way. So those are those are a couple of examples. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've have also witnessed um, throughout my my playing coaching career have witnessed countless examples of of all sorts of sports sportsmanship um, with examples of one player you know intentionally cheating or two players intentionally cheating um, or you know situations in college tennis where one person's behavior impacted. Um, another player on the team um, or even the, the whole team itself uh, or, you know, the, the entire team. So um, there's, there. I think there's countless examples of, unfortunately of, of poor sportsmanship. Um, but I think it's also important to emphasize that um, as coaches, as sports psychology professionals, um, we have an obligation, we have an opportunity to teach a lot of really important lessons that, tennis players can carry with them beyond the court um, through talking about some of these sportsmanship related topics.
1: And I guess I'll also point out some positive examples of sportsmanship. And I can think of two um, probably within the last maybe five or six years, one being Jack Sock, who was playing Leighton Hewitt. And he made – Made the suggestion to Leighton Hewitt that he should, um, challenge a particular call. And it ended up being in, in, in Hewitt's favor. Um, and so that, that was actually, uh, something very honest. It shows a lot of integrity there on, on Jack Sock's part to, to do something like that. And then, um, a few years ago, Rafael Nadal was playing, uh, Tim Smyczek at the, uh, Australian Open. And Nadal was trying to close out the match in the fifth. And somebody yelled out uh, during his first serve. And he uh, missed his first serve. And there's really nothing at that point that the umpire can do. Uh, But it clearly distracted Nadal. And and Smicek gave him him two serves. And uh, again, just looking at the situation, Yes, he could have benefited from that. Same with uh, Jack Sock. Could have benefited from that situation. But they both had a sense of what the right thing to do was. And they both acted on it. And to me, what it shows is that in those cases, both those players had a strong sense of values of what was important to them. So being a good sport, being honest, having some integrity, uh, was really important to those, to those players. So, um, while unfortunately we probably do see more of the the negative stuff, we, we also, if we look for it, we can find a lot of those, those positive aspects. And so I think it's, um, you know, making fair line calls is good sportsmanship. It's, I guess the one that I see the most, Josh, is like a ball comes onto your court from another court and perhaps there's an unreasonable delay. And very often, like what you'll see in college tennis is no sense at all of giving the opponent a first serve. When in reality, you probably should, especially with, with some of the delays that, that go on. So that I think that, you know, having a sense of What's a, what's a easily gotten over delay versus something that's a little bit beyond what's reasonable between a first and a second serve? Um, that's something. I think just in general, you mentioned it earlier, Josh, having respect for the opponent, but having respect for yourself, having respect for the sport. This is, we've often called it, you know, a game of honor or, you know, this is not necessarily the most inclusive term, but it has often been called a gentleman's game. It's really a game, I think, of honor. Um, and because we are all line judges at, in the majority of cases when we're playing, we need to bring that. Um, and one of our guests uh, on a recent episode, Angelo Rossetti, has actually experimented with something on, on sportsmanship. And it would be interesting to get your take on this uh, because I did try it a little bit. And his experiment was – to call your own shots on the other side of the net um so if you hit a serve you think it's out you call it out yeah uh, if you hit, think you hit a shot you know wide or long or so forth um call it out and i did try this now i found that the baseline calls on the other side were hard to to call that's that that particular line was nearly impossible. Now, it could have been that my friend was hooking me, right? So, because uh, <laughs> I thought a whole bunch of shots were in that he was calling out. But uh, certainly on the sidelines, um, I'd even say with serves, I was able to tell which ones were were long, better more so than, than the baseline. Uh, and so I thought that was just an interesting drill to try out. Um, now, certainly the better you are, it could be harder to do with a, a rapid you know, rapid pace of shot. But I thought that was an interesting way of uh, highlighting sportsmanship and, and how important it is and, and so forth. And of course, most people, they may know this rule, although I see very few engaging with it. But let's say you and I are playing, Josh, and um, I hit a shot, you're not quite sure about it. You can ask me for my opinion. And I'm supposed to tell the truth.
0: I didn't know that. That I did not know. Yeah.
1: Um, And that's happened actually in a few of my matches. And uh, I remember one time we were playing um, Friendship Cup, New England versus Quebec. And uh, I was playing number one for, I think, maybe the 45s team. And it was a big moment in the second Set, I had lost the first in a tiebreaker, and I hit this volley cross court. Looked, you know, on first glance, it looked like it it hit the line, and my opponent, it was on clay, so my opponent comes over. He he had initially called it in, but he's looking at the spot, and he calls me over, and he basically lets me make the call. And I'm like, uh it looked out. So I called it out. And uh, now also the spirit of that event is friendship and, and fairness and all. And, and so perhaps in, in light of that, it made it easier to do that. But I also think at the end of the day, when we go out there to play, I personally want to feel proud of how I behaved, how I conducted myself. And that has a lot to do with, with line calls and being a good sport. That doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. I do, you know, especially because I you don't see it on the podcast, but I wear glasses most of the time and sometimes you do miss calls. And we all, we all do that. Um, but I, you know, I, I try not to do any of that maliciously. Um, if I do miss calls, it's just because I missed it, not because I try to. Um, so I think there are a number of ways that we can demonstrate more sportsmanship, but let's face it, the sport does also have some. Moral or ethical dilemmas that can occur, um, depending on your level. Winning can seem more important in the moment than character or sportsmanship. Um, so let, maybe let's talk about a few of the ethical dilemmas that could come up, Josh. Um, you know, during a match. So when I bring that term up, is, is anything come to mind for you that like you've seen or have experienced yourself?
0: Um, I think there's an, I think there's a number of them. Um, one, one thing I would add, um, just going back to what you were saying, um, is when, when you were talking about calling your own calls and how certain, like the baseline can be a, a little bit more challenging. Um, I remember actually at a USPTA conference, um, Right around three, four years ago, when I was out in Northern California, um, I remember this. And this was interesting. Um, they they gathered all of the all the participants behind one of the baselines, and the um, I think he said for everyone to to turn the other the other direction. And he placed some balls, um, a couple of them on the line, a couple of them just inside the line, a couple of them just beyond the line. And he asked, "All right, which of these are in, and which of these are out?" from, you know, 78 plus feet away, probably 80 plus feet away from where we were standing. And it it was tough. Most of us got it wrong. So I think another important point is that, you know, if this is a gentleman's game or a, um, you know, if if this is, um, again, a game where we are trying to act in, in the best possible behavior, I think we do generally want to be i think we do want to be giving our opponents the benefit of the doubt are there situations where maybe our opponents haven't earned the benefit of the doubt sure if there's if there's been blatant cheating then then sure then maybe that hasn't been earned but i i think i've i've seen situations where um a player makes a, a maybe one questionable call or maybe they don't and the remainder of the match the other player is asking are you sure was that in are you are you sure? and sometimes the the calls aren't even that that close so I think an, another piece of this is um, to try to act in that best possible way, you know giving a player the benefit of the doubt, understanding that yes, there might be mistakes um, but most of the time our opponents aren't out there to cheat us most of the time um so I, I think that's that's an an important point as well um but to back back to your original question, Brian about some some ethical dilemmas um yeah i mean there are the situations where maybe a ball is you know you're not sure um where uh you're at the baseline and the ball goes by you and you're you're not sure if it was in or out and maybe you you think it was out but you're not positive where again the rule is that you're supposed to be sure when calling the ball out um so that's for certainly an ethical dilemma um there's also the let rule which um as i'm sure many of our listeners know that in in uh in college tennis they've they've done away with it because of the the cheating or, or uh, is it in all divisions just in
1: it's just in men's college in tennis in
0: men's is it just division just one? division 1 men's division 1 college tennis they've done away with it because of ethical issues in the past of let's being called erroneously where maybe a sir an ace would go by somebody and they would call a let when perhaps it hadn't taken place. I think it's so, also
1: being used in other areas too. Like ITF juniors, uh like at Roland Garros there were no LETs. So there they're and it may be going to other areas in, in college towns, but if, so far I think it's just been division one. But it may be changing this year.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So that that, that would be another example of um, certain ethical dilemmas where um, you know maybe maybe somebody misses a server turn and then they they say let afterwards when it when it didn't actually take place. Um, so I think uh, you know you you mentioned that um, you know tennis is unique in requiring players to not only be the player, not only be their own coach out there most of the time, um, but also to be the umpire or the line judge which is a which is a challenging situation that perhaps as as coaches um we don't we don't adequately train our players for 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 those those you know three um three simultaneous roles that that you're um that that, that you're faced with um so Yeah. I mean, it's, I I think, I think anytime you're in a match, there will be close calls. Um, There will be questionable moments where um, you have a decision to make. And um, I think without having some of these conversations between a coach and a player, maybe between a sports psychology practitioner and uh, an athlete, or, or sometimes it's, it's the parents, right? Maybe the parents, maybe, you know, I think part of, Um, good sports parenting is is having some of these discussions as well about sportsmanship that, you know, there are, and I I know we'll talk more about this is that winning isn't everything. If, if it's all about winning, if, if that's the end all be all, then what's going to happen? Then people will cut corners. Um, If it's all about doing, you know, having the highest GPA and that's all that's the only thing that matters, then what's going to happen? cheating, may take place. People will cut corners. So understanding that it's not all about that end result. It's also about, you know, who is the the type of person that you're trying to become here? Who are you trying to be on a day-in, day-out basis um, that will impact the type of decisions that are made and the type of sportsmanship that is conducted when that player is on court?
1: And when people engage in cheating, whether, like you said, it's in tennis or maybe academics, have you really achieved what you set out to achieve? Or as you said, you, you're cutting corners. Um, are you really the competitor that you purport to be? You can't, you can't take, uh, you can't do it straight up. You have to rely on something else. Now, some people would say, well, hey, that's part of the game. And, you know, there are certain cultures that may teach that. Um, but then that that's not really the sport of tennis. The sport of tennis is supposed to be played. Um, in an honorable way. And I think how one goes about it is important. How you follow your own process and get there and don't cut corners. And I think actually it takes a lot of mental toughness to be honest and fair and win that way. To not cut corners. To not cheat. Because that's the there's such a um, temptation to do that. The result is right there. You could maybe do something to, to take it rather than going the hard path and really truly earning it the right way. Um and I think when I think of ethical dilemmas, one of the ones that I think comes to mind the most is you feel like you've just been cheated. What do you do? Yep. Do you do you cheat back? Do you get a line judge? Do you, whatever, right? But there is a temptation, of course, to take whether it's the next point or one soon thereafter. And I've heard coaches say that. I've heard players say that. Now, to be fair, I've heard fewer and fewer coaches say that over the years. and Almost none more recently. But I'd Probably 15 years ago, that would have been a very common means of handling that situation, would be just take a point back. and It shows the other player that he or she shouldn't cheat because there are consequences for it. Uh, But to me, the problem is, with that, is you're cheating. You're a cheater too. Just because you think someone else started it does not absolve you of acting unethically. Uh, and so therefore, as long as you're willing to be branded a cheater, then I, I suppose that that approach is okay, taking it back. Um, but most people would not say that about themselves. Well, they'll say, oh, you know, he or she, she made a bad call. The fact is you you cheated too. And how do you know they made a bad call? You really don't know for sure. Just like you were saying, Josh. We're very far away from a lot of these lines. And we could have made a mistake about that. Uh, So to me, that's the big ethical dilemma. And I think it's really important that players are taught how to respond correctly to that. So I know that is something that it comes up a lot with the players that I work with is how
0: do you handle
1: the, the player who is supposedly cheating or the player who's even some of those other things that you said before about behavior, loud commands, the questioning of you. And I think it's good to be thinking about these things and having more programmed responses so that when they do happen, and they will happen, these are sadly... More common than we would like, especially um, you know, and where most of us are playing is where we don't have chair umpires. So you're going to be faced with these situations, probably not on a daily basis, but it'll come up for sure wherever you're playing. There's going to these things will happen at some point. So the better that uh, or better formulated plan that you have in your mind, how you want to respond to that, then you'll be able to move on from it because what happens. When players feel like they're being cheated or something unethical is going on, it becomes a distraction. Your mind constantly wanders back to that point in the last game where you feel like you got hooked or you got cheated. And now you're not able to put your focus into what you need to do in order to play well. And in essence, for some players who are cheating, there, I think there are many reasons why players may cheat. Some, um, may just be doing it as a tactic to distract their opponent. Um, such as what I saw this weekend. And, and when you get upset about that stuff, you actually play right into their hands. That's, you just did exactly what they wanted you to do. They wanted to distract you. They distracted you. You just validated that what they did works. Um, and so, the more that you can work on this with your coach or a sports psych professional, and make sure you're coming up with a good plan for how to handle all of these situations that could come up. Sort of the um, you know, planned responses to this, I like to call this like my mindset plan. So I know how to, you know, what kind of mindset I want to bring to that. What do I really want to focus on in that situation? What can I control in that situation? Um, what are my options? Many players don't even know their options, and I'm sure you've heard that, Josh, as players begin to go into tournaments, they may not be aware of uh, that they should approach a tournament director with concerns yep. um, about that and and, and and make sure that that person can step in somehow or get uh, another responsible person to watch the match and be a line judge. Um, so. I think those are kind of some important pieces, is understanding what what are the different situations we should pre- be prepared for, um, what are the ethical dilemmas that we may be faced with, and the more that we know about that stuff, the more that we can plan out how we want to behave and also make it consistent with our own personal core values and consistent with how we would want to act and, and in such a way that we're still proud of ourselves regardless of the result at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think those are all great points. I think as it relates to understanding the rules, I mean, I think back to college tennis and I think back to times where I was on the sidelines of a match and there would be a, a ball that maybe I had a better angle of, I could see better from my vantage point. And I would tell, I would tell the player, ask the official because, um, college tennis rules state that, you know, the, the umpire is not just calling balls in or out. The player has to verbally appeal to the umpire. So, um, for athletes to understand those rules. And as you said, understand your options, right. The more that you can understand that and to, to create a plan for those types of situations, the better. Um, I also think that, um, you mentioned that, you know, this can can lead to, um, understandably, I would say, um, can lead to, you know, an outburst or emotional reaction. Um, but I also think that to a certain extent, um, it can be used as an excuse um, sure. where maybe a player, maybe there was a bad call or multiple bad calls over the course of a match and a player decided to use that as their, their excuse where, okay, this happened. I'm tanking from this point forward. And when asked about it, they're going to say, Oh, well, I was cheated. And you know, that, you know, that that's why I lost the match. But in reality, you know, what is within your control there? Your response is within your control, right? How your opponent decides to behave is, is out of, there's nothing you can ultimately do about that. But you understanding the rules, you having a plan, you utilizing some of your mental skills that you've trained and practiced on and off the court, th- these are all things within your control. Uh, maybe even on, on that index card that, that you have often mentioned, Brian, maybe something on there about cheating where, you know, if they, if they decide to cheat me, then that's, you know, that's on them. I'm not going to let it get to me. Or something like that, and we've talked about the type of mindset that you want to have. And I think, you know, trying to have that that warrior mindset or that samurai mindset, or whatever you want to think of it, um, and just to be, um, you know, to to try to to not let any of it get to you, to, to view it all as a test, to view it all as an opportunity, to understand that hey, there will be these moments where this is going to happen, but how am I going to handle it? And that that's ultimately what it comes down to ultimately, you know you're when you look back at it years later, you're not gonna be you're not gonna remember um necessarily each of the results, but you'll remember how you handled each of these situations that you sink down to their level and decide to cheat them back um and again, as you mentioned, Brian, that also makes you a cheater that doesn't just because they may have started it that doesn't somehow give you give you you know a free pass to, to cheat them back. um, Did you sink to their level or did you do everything within your power, within your control to handle it in the best possible way? So I think, you know, when working with athletes um, for any athletes listening, trying to think about their own, your own response and doing everything within your control while understanding and being realistic that there might be a situation where this could cost you a really important point. Could cost you a set, could cost you a match or um you know or your team a match um and that doesn't feel good. you feel you you might feel robbed, you might feel like something has been taken away from you um but I think, in my opinion, going through these types of situations helps you to understand that things aren't always fair, but that you know, again, that that way that we respond, our response is what is always within our control, and that that's ultimately, over the long run, what's going to make the biggest impact for um, the person we want to be, the competitor we want to be, our reputation, um, all of these important factors.
1: And I think that's why building character, especially in a sport like tennis, is is so important. Um, Because it really helps you. I mean, tennis is a great place to be practicing that. And if you don't have a sense of like, you know, what your values are or what's really important to you, then of course, it's hard to build your character or hard to help have somebody help you with that. I wanted to go back to something you said, Josh, about, again, being prepared and, and understanding what may happen. One of the mindsets that I've used with players is, especially when they know, because Unfortunately, sometimes you know a little bit about your opponent and that perhaps that opponent has a reputation, um, maybe deserved, maybe not. Um, but one of the mindsets that I've used with many players is, okay, why, why do you think this player does this? It's most likely to try to distract you and so forth. You've got to tell yourself that you're too strong today for that to work. Don't let their plan work. Be so mentally tough. That no matter what they throw at you, you're going to to be able to handle it. And like you just said, it's all about how you respond to it. And if you can be planning out your response, even better. Um, But if we have a strong sense of our character and what's important to us, um, it becomes easier to do that. And I think today, I actually hear so many players talk about how cheating is something that is really distasteful to them which is really great to hear um, and how they wouldn't do it and and i've seen many of these kids compete and they compete that way they they actually back up their words Um, and so i think as we start to like begin to transition maybe to the last stages here um, i think it's important to talk about character building in a sport like tennis Because there's this notion that sport by itself builds character, and the evidence suggests actually it's the exact opposite. That sport doesn't build character. In fact, sport, if anything, is neutral on the point of character. It's the environment around the athlete and around sport that can either sway it to be one of character or to go in an unethical direction. And you certainly see this at the higher levels where coaches or the environment is one where winning is more, most important. And that can be division one college, professional, et cetera. Uh, and, and, and in fact, winning may even also be prioritized over good sportsmanship. But you know, Josh and I wanted to talk today about some coaching behaviors and training environment behaviors that can foster good sportsmanship. And I think these are the kinds of things that should be built into junior programs and, and certainly even adult programs. You know, adults are not um, not guilty of this. You'll see this in, in adult league tennis as well. Um, and so the three behaviors are modeling. We as coaches, we want to make sure that we're modeling the right behavior. And so that's, so if I'm talking to a team about sportsmanship and then I disrespect the other team's coaches or the other academy's coaches, uh, there's a disconnect there. And the players are going to copy what I do, not what I say. So we've got to be modeling that type of stuff. We also have to be reinforcing and rewarding good sportsmanship when we see it. Making sure that players understand they're being watched and it's being noticed what you're doing. And then, of course, we have to also, explicitly and overtly teach sportsmanship and character. Um, and many of the academies that uh, we see today have values and things like that. This is a matter of getting the coaches and the players to live toward those and understand what those behaviors are. Uh, and so, Josh, I wanted to get your thoughts on on those three behaviors, of modeling, reinforcing, and teaching, and, and how... You've maybe done it, seen it, want to do it more.
0: Yeah, a um, couple things here. Um, one, one particular behavior that I really like like to see, and uh, try to encourage whenever possible, is when a player hits a winner, or when a player hits a great shot. Um, especially if I'm, you know, coaching, um, and, and I'm coaching, I, I know both players. I'll often tell the the player who is on the other side of it to, to say, you know, compliment the other player's shot, tell them they, tell them they hit a great shot. Um, and I think that type of behavior helps to foster that mutual respect, that positive sportsmanship that we are striving for. Um, that's, that's one particular behavior that um, I always like to see and, and try to encourage. Um, another one is at the end of a match, whenever possible, you know, when players shake hands or maybe in covid era that's a you know fist bump or racket tap or whatever it may be (laughs) um but uh you know at that at the when players go to the net and and have that exchange um you know it's always nice if there's some sort of friendly element to it where maybe it's okay you know and high school tennis or college tennis it's okay you know nice playing like good luck the rest of your season or maybe it's something about the match itself. Like, oh, that you know, it's a 3 step match. Came down to the came down to the wire. Came down to the end of the match. And hey, that was you know, that was a great battle. Could have gone either way, or or whatever, whatever it is. Or you know, love the way you you fought out there. Or just you know, and, and you're not always going to get this. And it's uh, maybe it's not always realistic to expect players, maybe especially if they're on the losing side of things, to come up with that in the heat of the moment right after a defeat. However, it is definitely the type of behavior that um, I, I think should be should be encouraged, um, and you know when when I do see it, I, it's it's the type of thing that I try to point out, and uh, I, I think and uh, th- those are a couple couple of examples. I also think um, when, when tournament and Brian we were talking about this off air, but when tournaments have um, sportsmanship awards, I think that's also um, Great because it recognizes examples of good sportsmanship. They may even point out why. Oftentimes, they'll point out you know why a player received it, what they what they did to warrant it, and um, you know that can be a great example for some of their peers of you know what's the type of behavior that what are some examples of behavior that we're referring to when we talk about good sportsmanship? Um, but as, as you mentioned, those are those three areas. I mean, I think modeling and, you know, demonstrating good sportsmanship is, is definitely important. I mean, um, you know, as if I'm playing in a point, um, against one of the other coaches or one of the other players, uh, or, you know, one of the players, maybe it's a junior player, maybe it's an adult player. Um, I'll try, I'll, I would say I try to model the type of behavior that I I want out of the players, whether that be in terms of line calls, whether that be complimenting a player's shot, whether that be um, any of these aspects of sportsmanship or, you know, other areas related to the game, like effort or um, whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think that's definitely important. Um, I, I think I, I touched on some of these areas of um what was this the second one was the second one was highlighting was that what it reinforcing, is reinforcing yeah actually reinforcing I think recognizing i think yeah you've been talking about that recognizing yeah um so yeah that that was definitely a, a big one and then i think um that third piece of um blatantly you know specifically teaching um sportsmanship I, th- I think this is something i've done um to some extent um with with um college teams um as as well as more so you know at maybe at the one-on-one level with players that I've worked with, but um, definitely something I could do more of and definitely something I think that most coaches could do more of in terms of maybe structuring practices um, where, where we talk about some of these elements of sportsmanship um, or, you know, having workshops or presentations where certain behaviors or certain things certain um, situations are highlighted and you talk through some of these situations with players. Okay. How would you respond to this situation? Okay. What might be a more positive or negative way to respond here? Um, And then you maybe have a discussion with players about some situations where they've maybe handled things in a, in a more positive or negative way, situations where they've seen their peers, responding, you know, in in better or worse ways or, or professional athletes. Um, So I think there's that in that particular area, both within myself and and I would say within coaches, there's, there's more work to be done where maybe um, it's pointed out, you know, sportsmanship is pointed out as it occurs, but more could be done to point it out proactively and understand that these situations are inevitable to occur. So we might as well get ahead of ahead of them.
1: And I think on this, the character development angle or piece of things, u s d a player development has seven specific character skills, character traits that they're trying to promote within players. Yeah. Um, we could possibly show that in our, our show notes. Um, but I know I've worked some of the camps and where there's always a theme of one of those character skills that comes up and we, and we talk about those types of things and in fact I think one of them actually had to do with sportsmanship a few years ago. we We did what you just said. We gave out certain scenarios about how how to handle it and had small groups come up with responses and and then share that that type of thing and I think that is in a way we're explicitly teaching um, how to respond to these things um, from a modeling perspective, I think as a college coach, what I'd like to see is coaches shaking hands with the opposing player and saying some nice things as well. Um again, your players are going to see you do that kind of thing. I think that that's that's important. Uh so there yeah, there are, I think these behaviors are something coaches and even parents can keep in mind or leaders of teams. A team captain could do this and act in that way. In fact, I know I was part of a USTA League, uh, Mixed mixed Doubles League. And um, we did something like that as a team. We we congratulated the team that beat us and was going to go on to to nationals. And all of a sudden, USTA New England gave us like a sportsmanship award on the spot just for how our team handled that. Um, And so I think that, you know, a couple of things. We we did the right thing, but then we are also recognized for it and that just reinforces that whole thing. Uh, the danger of course is getting into environments where winning is is uh, prioritized over over all these things um, and the research shows that at at a higher level more winning is is, is deemed as important and more important than your character um, hopefully that is something that that begins to to change over time um, but this is a a, a topic that's I don't know, it's become more important to me, Josh, I guess, as I've gotten older um and it's part of like what I actually enjoy about the sport is that honorable interaction between players, and to me it makes it it makes it a lot of fun when you're battling somebody, and yet both players can keep it in perspective. That this isn't about me against you. We're out here to together creating this performance, and in fact, I need you mm-hmm. to create this performance. If you're not over there, tennis is pretty boring. And uh, so often, I think we're looking at our opponents in such an adversarial way that they, you know, we we see them as the enemy when in reality. Um, they are partners with us in creating a performance, and we need them to do that. And they push us, they challenge us, they make us better, and we do the same for them. And if we can understand that that's really the the dynamic, really the ultimate dynamic that's going on at a tennis match, perhaps it becomes easier to act with honor, act with integrity, um, and, and, and in the end be a good sport.
0: And ultimately we, we talk about that the goal is to get a little bit better every time that you're out there. Yeah. The goal is not just to beat that person who happens to be across the, uh, across the net from you. Um, that person, you know, might be around your level might be significantly better, might be significantly worse. We've all been probably in all three of those situations. Um, the The goal is to be a little bit better every day. So I think keeping that perspective as well can, can help players from cutting corners and from maybe crossing that line into the, into the unethical behavior, because I think when players get tunnel vision and think that this one match is the end all be all um, it, it can be easy to, to, to feel like you have to cut corners, to feel like cutting corners is the way to to be is the way that is going to lead you to that result that you want. But I think having that long-term perspective that this is just, this is another match. Everything is practice, right? We've talked a lot about that particular perspective and that every time I'm out here, I want to get a little bit better. There's something to be learned here. Maybe one day what's to be learned is something related to my strategy about, you know, finding my opponent's weaknesses. And another day it's something related to sportsmanship and that, way that we want to be acting day in day out where Brian you talked about this this common ethical dilemma of a player cheats you and then how do you respond and maybe in the past you haven't responded in the way that you want to where you look back at it and you have certain regrets but are you able to get a little bit better next time you're out there and make a different decision i think is an example of of being a little bit better of getting one percent better of becoming closer to that person and athlete and tennis player that you aspire to be. Josh, I think that's a great way to wrap
1: up. I was I, I enjoyed that conversation thoroughly. Um, so that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. For more on today's show, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our Instagram page. Thanks again, and we will speak to you soon in our next episode.